welcome to another episode of How's the Pressure. I am your host, Haley Winter, and today I'm talking to Richard Rossiter. Now, maybe some of you have heard of Richard and his bodywork method. It's called the Rossiter System. For those of you who haven't heard of him, Richard is a prolific bodyworker with decades of experience. He's in the Massage Hall of Fame, and he's a former rolfer. He credits both Ida Rolf and Dr. Jim Moore with helping lead him to his success. Now, Richard has some fairly pointed opinions about how bodywork is often approached and how it could be better. In the end, his system is designed to solve some of these deficiencies that he's so frustrated with. Now, Richard has a fascinating and extreme history that led him down the path to creating this form of bodywork. It's not often you come across someone who has the passion and energy to create a method from scratch. Now, I hope you listen closely to see if you can spot the fire inside that drives him and perhaps connect with it or some version of it in yourself. So, not to hold you back from it any longer, I give you my interview with Richard Rossiter. Well, welcome, Richard. Thanks for joining me. Uh, you're welcome. So I've been looking forward to this conversation for quite some time because it's not every day you get a chance to talk to an innovator, uh, someone who has created their own system of bodywork. And so I, I think it's really a unique experience for me, and I can't wait for my listeners to, to hear and to have you share with them uh, your story and, and the work that you do. So uh, you have quite a unique history. Can you tell me a little bit about your time in the Army and how that led you into bodywork? Well, it started out, uh, I, I had uh, a couple injuries uh, in the Army, and they came from uh, basically uh, crashing a helicopter and uh, then getting bombed by our Air Force. Uh, what happened there was simply uh, I was on a mission, and uh, I had to put my helicopter down, and when I put my helicopter down, they did not know that the Air Force was actually bombing the area. Hmm. Or actually, it was the Navy, sorry. Mm -hmm. And what happened out of that was I had a uh, huge shoulder dislocation from the dirt clods that uh, basically cascaded down on me. Uh, after that, what happened was I, I got about four days off, and I, I basically went back to work. And when I went back to work, the big thing was my shoulder continued to bother me, and my my back also gave me some some issues. And so I started flying. I flew in Honduras for a short period of time, and then I went to Alaska, and I started flying in Alaska. And while I was in Alaska, all those things that happened in uh, Vietnam came back to haunt me, all the, uh, the issues with my shoulders, uh, my back, and so... Uh, when I was in Alaska, I started trying to find some sort of a pain solution. People sometimes don't know that, you know, when you when you talk to a surgeon, they say, oh, yeah, that's that's easy to fix. You know, that's not a problem. Then I would talk to people who had had that particular surgery, and they would say, well, yeah, it used to hurt, and, uh, but, uh, and it would hurt uh, a lot, and then it would stop, and then it would hurt a lot, and then it would stop. And I said, well, what happened after the surgery? And they said, well, it's pretty consistent now. And I said, what do you mean it's pretty consistent? And they'd say, well, it hurts all the time. 
I, that's, that's not where I want to go. Yeah. And so after talking to a lot of people who had had the shoulder surgeries and, and, uh, a, a few doctors who did them, I decided to try, uh, chiropractic. I tried massage. I tried a lot of things that, uh, when I was out there and working in the field, it was just, it was horrible out there. And then I would get into town and I would, I would feel better for a short period of time, you know, sometimes an hour, sometimes two hours. Somewhere in about 1975, a, a, a gentleman by the name of Nearly Normal Jimmy said, well, you got to try rolfing. And I said, well, well, tell me about it. And he says, well, it hurts. And I said, well, I already hurt. No, thank you. So I went another five years without doing anything about it. Mm-hmm. And then rolfing came back into my life again uh, through a girlfriend. And she was becoming a rolfer. And so she said, well, why don't you get rolfed? And so I started uh, the process, the, the 10 series. And after the very first rolfing session, which is about 90 minutes long, uh, I started feeling better. And by the third one, I could raise my arms above my shoulder again, which I hadn't been able to do for 15 years. I hadn't been able to raise my arms above my shoulder simply because they would dislocate after, uh, after I'd get my, my arms up there. In fact, my dislocations on both shoulders were pretty extreme. Uh, I would dislocate each shoulder probably about 10, 15 times a year and doing things just as simple as, as turning a wheel on a car. Hmm. So I was very, very conscious of my shoulders. And so what happened out of all that was I, I was enthralled with rolfing and I said, I've got to do this. I stopped flying. I started rolfing. Uh, and I, I rolled uh, first in Texas, and then I rolled in Arkansas. So your bodywork came out of the Rolf Institute, right? Your your bodywork background. Uh, what differentiates? Yeah. What differentiates? What differentiates your system from rolfing specifically? Specifically, what we're trying to do is we're going after a pain issue. In rolfing, they're not going after a pain issue; they're going after a structural issue that may produce pain. Uh, sometimes it's a person that is, uh, you know, that they perceive themselves as crooked, or they uh, and they want to stand straighter, or they want to be able to function better, and so that's what rolfing does: is it, it optimizes them standing better, functioning better, running better, doing all of those things, and they do it throughout the entire structure. So in a rolfing session, you have a particular body part that you work on each time you come back. So a fourth session uh, involves, say, adductors. Uh, a first session involves the chest and shoulders. So they are going after specific areas of the body, whereas when a person comes into Rossiter, uh, m- one of the first things out of my mouth is, where does it hurt? Hmm. So, so the goal is 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 going after pain, not going after posture. Exactly, exactly. Okay. I'm I want to know what hurts, and then I'm going to ask them uh, about their history. Hmm. I'm going to ask them, you know, was it a car accident? Did you slip, fall? Uh, is it just something that's chronic from 20 years ago? You know, all of these kinds of things become very important as opposed to 
in rolfing, they're still going to do the 10. They may modify the 10 slightly, but they're still going to do the 10. Whereas when a person comes in for me, I want to be able to provide a service that is quick, it is powerful, and they're done. So it might be two sessions, it might be four sessions, it might be eight sessions. And each time one of those sessions is, just to kind of give you an idea, rolfing typically is 60 to 90 minutes. In a Rossiter session, because the work is so powerful and dynamic, you can only, a person can only handle 20 to 30 minutes at most. So for those of my listeners who don't know what the roster system is, how would you explain it to them? It is a fast way to be able to get out of pain that is controlled by the person who is in pain and assisted by a coach who knows, you might say, the lay of the land. And by combining the PIC, we call them the PIC, the person in charge, which is the client, they're the ones that really know what the issue is. They know everything about it. I could study a person the rest of my life and not know as much as that person does that day. So we like to think of those people as the ones who are in charge. And what we are as a coach is we try to, as much as possible, push them towards their limits of being able to handle uh, the amount of weight. We don't call it pressure in roster. We call it weight because that's what we're doing is we're adding weight. As soon as you start adding pressure, I mean, it's, it even sounds like you're trying to pressure the person. When I talk about weight, I, I, it's always a matter of applying weight because they're on the floor. That's the first thing. And when you just do a weight transfer from your, from your uh, standing foot or your base foot to your working foot, what you're getting is a very powerful uh, transmission of energy. Now, the, the important part of Rossiter is, to me, is that we are not pushing a person a certain way. We are adding energy to their system, and their system is doing with it what it needs to do to get rid of the pain or whatever issue that they have in that area. Hmm. So how many practitioners from from the most basic levels to the highest levels are there out there in the world right now? I'm going to guess approximately a thousand that were probably are out there. Hmm. You mentioned that Rolfing uses a 10 series. Can you explain why they have chosen 10 as a specific number? That's something I've, I've always wondered. Well, that's a, that's an interesting one because I've heard a lot of stories Way going way back to to Ida. And Ida Rolf basically divided the body in seven areas is what she did. And then with those seven areas uh, came the the last one was the head and neck. And then after 8, 9, and 10, they were designed to be either a lower uh, body work or an upper body work, and then you chose which particular one you went for. You either did eight as an upper body work or you did eight as a lower body work. And then 10 was basically, end quote, to put you back together and to to blend everything in and, and make it work and ta-da, you're done. Hmm. 
in Rossiter, my feeling is is that you have to integrate at every every move, every technique that you make, you integrate it into the rest of the body. And so there's a big difference in how we approach uh, a person's body. I am integrating at every moment, and my usually what I recommend a person to do is after the after the workout and it's and it feels like a workout it feels like you are going to be exhausted at the end and you are and you go uh, I always ask people to take a walk because I want this stuff to blend in that I've just given them so the Rossiter system has people using their feet to apply pressure this is a pretty significant deviation from most massage and facilitated stretching techniques what has you convinced that the feet are better than the hands the biggest thing is results besides the results one of the things that immediately happened with me was that my shoulders quit hurting i i became a rolfer because i was so amazed at the amazing the 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 results that i got my shoulders i could raise my arms above my head again for the first time in in 15 20 years they i mean they would go up above my head without any sense of, of uh, dread that I was going to dislocate. And so when I started rolfing people, I had to use my shoulders again. And so I had to apply all of this, all of this pressure with, my, with either my knuckles or my elbow, but everything always transmitted into, the sho- into my shoulders again, and my shoulders started bothering me again. And so... One of the first things that I noticed once I started putting people on the floor was that my shoulders started to feel good again. And it was so much easier. The, the amount of strain that a therapist puts into themselves uh, usually means a therapist is going to last anywhere from five to seven years. That's their usual uh, longevity period for, for most therapists that go out there. Whereas with Rossiter... You're using your feet, and you're never going to overstress your shoulders. You're never going to you're never going to get a problem with your elbow. You're not going to you're not going to have shoulders that ache constantly every night. I mean, I can remember many times in my rolfing career. And keep in mind, I was I became a rolfer in 1983. I became an advanced certified rolfer. I believe it was in in 87. I'm not quite sure the years on that, but what happened all during that was my shoulders continued to ache. And one of the things I used to do because I didn't have another rolfer in the area to help me out was I would go up to my couch. I had a, I had a huge couch and I would lay on the floor next to one of the legs of the couch and I would pick up the leg and I would put it in what we now call the hole in the shoulder, which is basically at the top of the pecs below the, uh, the collarbone. And I would put my arm under the couch and I would start moving my arm around while the weight of the couch was on my arm. I, and then I would pick up the, the couch and put it off to the side, stand up, and my arm was better. And that was just using a couch. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so, so I knew that that weight was a real issue, and it was a, you know, it was a big, broad uh, bottom of a couch. It wasn't sh- sharp and pointy. It was, you know, it, it was rounded at the bottom, and I, I felt that in there, and I said, there's got to be a way that, that 
is going to help me do this. And uh, it probably was less than a year later that I started stepping on people in that class. As a body worker myself, I'm used to having very sensitive hands. And I know that my feet are not anywhere close to as sensitive as my hands. What do you do right. to compensate for the, the differential in, in those two body parts? If you're, if you're using your feet to help people, but they're not as sensitive. Right. Well, when you first start out, they aren't. So what we do in our classes, when we, when we have roster classes, we teach people how to be more sensitive with their feet. And it's beautiful because as soon as they start getting it, they feel it immediately. I mean, if you've ever looked at a homunculus, <clears throat> which is a graphic representation of what the brain uses for hands, and feet and lips and, and eyes and everything else, you will notice in the homunculus that uh, the feet are as sensitive as the hands, and they use as much brain power as the hands do. And so it's not too long into your training that you can feel when a person is changing. You can feel the tissue change under your foot, whereas before... Uh, you probably didn't have a clue, but what's nice is that uh, through training, uh, you can get the foot absolutely as sensitive as the finger. You mentioned in your literature that your system has an effect on the central nervous system specifically. What is that effect? I think uh, it's the biggest part of it is a calming effect. Uh, when you put the originally designed space back into the tissue, Everything relaxes. So as an example, let's say you've got a bad knee and you have to walk around on this bad knee all the time. Your mind does not focus on, on what it needs to focus on to, say, produce a living or uh, you know, a relationship or something else. It's stuck on the knee being in trouble. And when you have something like that going on, and, and a lot of people have not one thing they they'll have a low back and knee their foot will hurt you know there'll be three or four or five different things in their body that are kind of killing them a lot of times i'll say to a person you know what hurts and they'll say what doesn't and hmm. so you get an idea of how engaged the central nervous system is in all of these issues that are going on in your body and once you start calming these issues the central nervous system comes back and goes ah yes much better, and now I can focus. And so, and it does, and it can focus because not all of the, the nerves that are firing are keeping the brain busy with all of the, the pain issues. A good example of that would be PTSD. You get these guys that come back after having an IED go off near them. If you can imagine in a car accident, you might have an area of your body that gets compressed from the steering wheel or from the side of the door or uh, your knees buckling up. Well, those are very specific things. When you have an IED, you're talking about the entire connective tissue being compressed, and you can't see that. And so that's why these drugs for all these poor PTSD guys yeah, – they don't work because they have the all of the tissues, all of the tissues have been compressed and there's no way to be able to see that. And so they don't know how to treat P 
PTSD. And I think it's a crying shame that uh, we can't get these people back to normal and we tend to start using opioids and different things on them like that, that they just, they don't need. So I'm very interested in your choice of calling the client the PIC or person in charge. Tell me a little bit about why you went that direction. I wanted people to recognize that they are in charge of their own body. And because they're in charge of their own body, they are the ones who are going to fix the issue or not. They walked into your office. Your office is your realm, which is the coach's realm. In other words, if you are the the coach in that room, you can give directions to a person in that room, but the person is going to say, well, I want to go with you and, and push this issue and, and get fixed really hard or I'm not really interested. Or, you know, I would rather you do the work than me. And so you set up a dynamic that is different than a therapist. This brings up the subject of operator versus interactor in my mind, which is you know, a big component of massage therapy is this sensation of, as a therapist, I'm doing this to you. So I'm bringing all of the expertise. I'm bringing the tools and the techniques to the table, and I'm fixing you. I'm operating on you. Whereas in reality, we're there interacting with the person's body. And why do you think that so many massage therapists or so many therapists start viewing themselves as operators and allowing the clients to be passive consumers of the body work? We've, we're, we're brought up on that. That is, that is in our culture. We go to a doctor, doctor, fix me. You know, they, we, we think in those terms, I'm coming to you for you to fix me. What I want them to think of is I want them to come to Rossiter and say, this hurts like hell. And I'm going to say, are you ready to get yourself out of pain? Because I often say that. Are you ready to are you ready to kick butt to be able to get yourself out of pain? Because I will help you as much as my expertise will allow me to, but it is your knowledge of your own body that is going to give you the relief that you want. And so I push I push that on all of my students and so many and there's a lot of students that they think that I, I think of it as this way. I don't want and I don't need to be the hero here. I don't. I want them to be the hero of their own body so that they fix themselves. I remember when, when I was uh, doing a lot of teaching in factories and offices around the country, one of the things I made my students say to a person when they walked out was, you did a hell of a job today. And, and I, wanted, I wanted the person to know that they were the ones who fixed themselves, not the Rossiter uh, coach. I wanted them to know that it was their work that got them out of pain, and, and that was the best way to, to be able to do it in that environment. So what do you think is the reason why it is so commonplace for massage therapists or therapists to enter into that uh, operator mindset? Is it because the client 
is used to receiving and being passive and having the uh, the the other the other do all the work, or is it because uh, the therapist wants to feel like they're doing uh, more and that they're doing the fixing, like an ego? Yes, I, uh, it, it's both. Uh, it, it's both because you know we want to. Uh, so many of us want to be helpers, and it just is a, a helper profession for sure. And so. We, we want to be recognized for being able to do what we do. But I think the biggest thing is, is that it's taught in schools that you are the therapist and that you are going to get people out of pain. And in the Rossiter system, what I tell people is, is they are going to allow you to assist them in helping them get themselves out of pain. That's how I look at it, and, and I, I like to make sure that people think in those terms And because it, the results are so much different. They're, yeah. they're huge. The, the results that we get in three or four uh, workouts is usually as much as anybody else gives in 20, and that's big. So on your website FAQ section, it says that someone might experience some bruises if they go through the roster system. Uh, it makes sense, considering your description of it as an intense workout. But no one has ever been injured during a roster workout. Yes. there's. I mean, people get sore after a, a roster workout. People, uh, they may feel uh, sore for uh, two or three days, depending on how hard they work. A lot of people, once they understand that they're the ones who are going after this, some of them just go nuts, and, and they really, really push themselves. And it's up to the uh, PIC to always say, stop, that's too much weight. So what we do is we start applying weight, and as soon as they say stop, then, they are, then they're required to move. Hmm. And in that movement, if it's too much, then they can say stop. There are people that are out there that are on Coumadin or Warfarin or some other uh, uh, blood thinning, uh, and and they will they will bruise uh, significantly. Uh, the other people, for the most part, you'll get a bruise now and then. And typically, uh, the, you know, a bruise lasts as long as a bruise lasts. But what they've found is that they have gotten out of the pain that they were in, and they're sore uh, necessarily maybe at the bruise where the bruise is. But even the bruise can be taken care of with uh, what we call tiny torques and Mr. Twisters. And all they are is a way of diminishing the sting from the practitioner who is just working in a particular area. Hmm. So why don't you work with people who have had back surgery? Well, we used to not. We used to not. Now we do. Now we've, we've discovered the, uh, the back techniques for surgery and we can now. We go after them. In fact, uh, in the last couple of months, I've even found more techniques that I can use with the back surgery. Uh, and so now we uh, we always go after people with back surgery. We're not going to go after them, you know, after a fresh back surgery, but we are going to work with any kind of uh, back surgery that's typically uh, over six months old. Most back surgeries are great the first year, 
you talk to people that have had back surgeries and they say, oh, man, it's just great. I feel so much better. What's happened there and why it's good for about a year is that first they're following all the directions that they were given. And then second is that the connective tissue, when you have a back spasm or when you have a back issue that is painful, painful, you're talking about the connective tissue being chronically shortened in an area that when you cut it, think of a ball of rubber bands. When you cut that ball of rubber bands, you just put a knife down it. What happens is all of those rubber bands unwind and they go, oh. But what happens after a year is now you're starting to put all the stress back in it that you had and new stress. And the difference is now is that where the connective tissue moved in single strands along the whole line, no matter which direction you, you follow in, a, in, in multi, multi dimensions, now it's being stopped right dead center in the middle of the scar. The scar is, has stopped the connective tissue from being able to relax and it starts to, it starts to accumulate, the stress starts to accumulate and come back into that area. And so you have now a, a you might say, a huge conflagration of, of, of connective tissue that no longer talks to each other on each side of the scar. And because of that, it gets stuck right at the scar, and so that's when the pain starts coming back into, a, uh, into that chronic back pain that most people have after they've had back surgery. So this... This system you've generated, of course, it has taken many years to put together. And what is what was the hardest part about creating your own system? Uh, I think part of the hardest is people hear about it and they go, "Yeah, yeah, you're a chiropractor," or "Yeah, yeah, you're a golfer," or "Yeah, yeah, you're a you're a massage therapist." But once you stepped on them. They all go, this is a game changer. This is completely different than what I thought it would be. This is, and so the hardest part has been getting it out there by word of mouth because nobody believes other people's tale or, or, their, their, or their story. They've got to feel it for themselves. Hmm. And so it's been very difficult to be able to convince people that you can help them and you can, and you can do it in three or five sessions, or or even one session, and and they're just not used to that. They're they're used to going to a PT for six months or two years, or or uh, a therapist, so that it, it knocks whatever that they have down for another week, and then down for another week, and down. They don't get that they can actually get out of the pain themselves. So it's they're. Nobody is used to that, and it, and so the hardest part is always giving the information out and, and making sure that a person gets an opportunity to get stepped on so that they can see that it truly is a game changer. Hmm. So I've got a couple smaller questions before we wrap this up. What was your more... What, 
What was your most challenging client experience? Not necessarily a, a client who came in with the most challenging issue to work with, but your most challenging experience with a client. Well, ha, ha. there have been so many. I, I, I don't even. I wouldn't even know where to begin. I, I wanted to help. I, I can tell you one that I wanted to help that I couldn't. Sure. And that was that was a guy who was sent to me by the by the doctor, and the biggest challenge that I have out there now is opioid abuse. And this particular guy was on eight different drugs, and he had been run over by a tandem wheel tractor the long way. Ugh. He spent two years. In rehab, not only rehab, but in the, in the hospital before rehab. And when the tractor rolled up and over him, it, I mean, his head went between the two wheels. That was the only thing that saved him. And it was because of his opioid abuse that I couldn't help him because he couldn't tell when something was better, even though you could see visually see that something moved better, it uh, extended better, he, he walked around the room better, all of those kinds of things, he couldn't tell the difference right. because of the opioids. And that's what's happening now all across the states, everywhere. And if a person, see, to me, and, and it's been incredibly frustrating because people are being given that as a first choice by doctors. You know they're they're going out there and they're they're taking their NSAIDs and their and their acetaminophen and and their their uh, uh, naproxen and all of these other things and then they're going to opioids rather than being able to take a a dent out of a person by by changing their structure literally by changing and that includes surgeries that includes everything that people are going in for now. All I would need to be able to get out of pain is to open it up with Rossiter. And, and I say that because all Rossiter people do is recreate the originally designed space you were designed to have from birth. And if you do that, the pain stops immediately. You get your uh, range of motion back. You get everything back that you possibly can, even though something may be damaged, uh, may be irreparable, but you are going to get back, you're going to get back at least 90% of it. So you, you don't need to go after opioids. You don't, you, you, the, the pain meds, I used to say to a person, oh my God, you've got, you don't go after surgery, don't, don't have shots because it necrotizes or kills the tissue. But now my biggest worry is, is that people are going on opioids and this is just wrong. Yeah. So before we go, uh, if anyone wants to reach out and make contact with you, learn more about the roster system, uh, what's the best way for them to do so? Well, they can go to rossiter.com or the roster system.com and they can uh, take a look at uh, the events which are all the classes that are being held around the, around the world. Uh, they're all on there. 
And uh, the other thing is, is that they can contact me personally if they have an issue, and they can do that through rhr at rossiter.com. So it's just my initials at rossiter.com, R-H-R. And if you go to the website, they can find a practitioner, for instance, if they want to check out and get a, a session for themselves uh, to feel what it's like to experience it and, and maybe go from there. Absolutely, yes. Schedule something in your area and and see what a roster practitioner can do for you. Hmm. All right. Well, thank you so much, Richard. I appreciate you stopping by. You betcha. Thank All right. you, too. Well, thank you so much for tuning in today. If you enjoyed the episode, please go ahead and review it on iTunes. And if you have any questions that you had wished I had asked or topics you want me to cover in the future, please visit the website at www.housethepressure.com where you can send me an email and hopefully I can include it. Until next time, be good and be well. <laughs>